The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Welcome online listeners to our next message. It's called My Flesh. If you have the workbook, that's on page 75. When you guys hear the term my flesh, please tell me what's some of the things that come to your mind. Because flesh means different things to different people. Okay, in fact, while we're taking some of the people's answers, if someone would go to the dictionary and look up the word flesh, because I'd like to have you read that, if you would, to the people. But what are some of the other ideas or thoughts that come to your mind when you hear my flesh? The Adamic nature? What's that? Selfishness. Selfishness. Skin? Yeah, sarks. Worldliness. So, therefore, we are born... What exactly? We're born sinful. We're born short of some kind of mark. And we're born failures. I got an idea, guys. Let's take our children and say, Good girl! Good boy. You're a good person. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're a failure. You can do it, son. If you do not understand that connection of training up children in the ways of the Lord is such a critical part of forming your adult worldview of Christianity... Forget indwelt Christianity. Those two are dependent on each other. Worldview and parental correction are connected as one. A generation that has not been corrected by their children because they have their own cell phones, they have their own keys to the house, they have mamas off to work, they have papas off to work, they have, they're left to themselves. There's only one outcome of that. I am God. I'm in charge of my own life. Tracy has an unbelievable story of being adopted by Mary at what, junior high, 8th grade level, 15 years of age. Because God had a mission for her, had love for her, and wanted her to be discipled in Christ Jesus. Mary opening her heart and mind to the identity truths year after year after year after year. And a lot of this stuff Tracy's hearing here today is old stuff. But she still comes and gets renewed, kindled afresh. Childhood and adult worldview are connected. And they will view their living God in the manner in which they viewed their parents. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is, unless they get discipled. 
Yeah, we better take a look at this fleshly issue. Indoor Christians walking after the flesh produces problems. Can indwelt Christians walk in the flesh? Can you walk in the flesh? Our rookie Christian here, the gangster, your answer is no. Indwelt Christians can't walk in the flesh. It's like saying, this didn't die. It's still alive. Liar, liar, pants on fire. It's dead. The old nature is dead. Christian, indwelt Christians cannot walk in the flesh. They can walk after the memories of it. The sediment left behind. That's what we'll look at today. Satan lived out his self-life and became God's enemy and thus was removed from heaven. So there's a separation for those who refuse to budge in repentance. After discipling people all these years, and those of you who've been involved in discipling others for many years, you have found this common, most simple principle, and that is you can't change a single soul. And if they have a hard heart, and they're rebellious, and they've got this thing going where no one's going to tell me what to do, whether they say it or their attitudes communicate it, I've learned a little technique. Paul used it. Is anyone, is that story just happening to come to the top of your mind? The church reports this young man who's having sex with his mother and he won't listen. What's the rest of the story? Church leadership couldn't deal with him. The, his parents couldn't deal with him. Obvious reasons. And this kid was just untouchable. So they contacted Paul. In a letter. And Paul responds with a letter. And says, well, I turned such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his soul to save his spirit. And I'm like, what did he just say? You know how much I admire Paul. I'm like, say that again? What, 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 What did he do? Because I get the whole thing that Paul's saying, not I, but Christ, and that he's been reduced to nothing, and that he literally shakes when he tries to communicate, and he doesn't have any more oration words to share. With you know, I get all that. There's a broken man going, what? Well, I'll be. So that added a different dimension to me that God causes all things to work together for the good. To those whom he loves. And they love him. And are called to his purpose. Well, guess what diagram pops up in my mind? The funnel diagram of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God using the world, the flesh, and the devil to bring that person to the cross. See, it wasn't a harsh statement from Paul because Paul didn't stop halfway in the middle of the verse and say, For I turned this one over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. Any more questions? That's not where it stops, is it? What's the rest of it again? 
Did you catch that piece of it? To destroy a soul. To what? Save his spirit. Of course, the story goes on, and that's exactly what happens. You talk about God using Satan. Stories in Job, the stories in Moses, the stories absolutely everywhere. Here's the deal, guys. Seven areas of life, psychological, spiritual, physical, social, financial, marital, and parental. If you can think of another area of life we can stick up there, let me know and we'll do it. But this pretty much covers it. So God will use one of the seven areas of life to literally form problems in your life. And from those problems, a need starts to surface. And from the need, a question is asked. There's such a graceful, respectful God. He waits for the question. Stephen, do you believe I am He? Have you ever noticed how many times in the Bible that God answers questions with a question? That's a responsible parent. Stephen, you're not going to make this about me again, are you? And since it's not about you, what is it? What am I fighting? What questions do I need to answer? Do you think God cares about this computer that now has to be replaced? No, He cares about the ministry that happens through it. My whole focus was off. It created a question. And as I told you, I'm not in the habit of asking God questions. I'm just not. And if I do, I ask the question of the question coming back on me. Like, God, what am I off up here in? What am I? God addresses me in belief. And then I have a decision to make. Yes, no. Stephen, don't give me this gray matter because you're going to end up in darkness. You'll go right back into the tomb if you give me a bunch of gray matter. Just yes, no. That's all I need out of you. Yes, I will choose life in me, the mind of Christ in me, or no, I won't. I'd prefer my own thinking today. Thank you. He allows us to slip into a living death and stay there for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, or simply have our carcass laid dead in rebellion and never get it. And if you think we could turn and blame him for that, then we don't know the type of God that God is love, and love from God is God, and giving God to others is loving other people. Since we don't have the ability to do that, he had to give us Christ. And he had to demonstrate that love for us in the form of blood, identity. Shedding identity all over us, purifying us, washing us in his blood. Washing us in his identity. Don't tell me that identity doesn't matter. It is the only thing that does matter to me. Is knowing who you are in the washing of the blood of Jesus. DNA of Jesus. I want on that strand. Don't refine this horrible thing. I want to be on that strand. 
And God says, granted. You need the whole time I was going to be on that strand. Granted. Makes me think it was my decision for salvation. Granted. Do you know when Jesus said, for you did not choose me, but I chose you? And we go day to day thinking we make the choice of salvation. That'd be liar, liar, pants on fire. He chooses us and we respond to the touch with a decision. Touch me. It's all it takes, just a touch. Remember when people would touch his garment? Remember that? I love this story. Jesus just kind of like walking along, you know, talking to the disciples. Maybe chewing on a banana. I don't know. He's just, you know, casual, enjoying life. And all of a sudden, he's like, what happened? What's the scripture say? Huh? Who touched me? And the disciples were like, well, what's that matter? I felt the power drain out of me. If you touch him, if you just... If you just get connected to the life of Christ in you, it will train the power out of him and your weakness becomes his power. He wants to be drained. That gal who had that bleeding problem knew that. I just got to touch him. And that power drained out of his robe and went into her body and she was healed of damaged whatever. That's my Savior. That's my husband you're talking about. So to have him touch me and drain me of self-life and say, Stephen, I'm going to be with you there. I'm going to let the enemy hang you on that tree. I'm going to use the world, the flesh, and the devil to pin you to that tree. But need to have you know, I will be there with you. I promise. He knows what it feels like. He's been tempted in all things. He, he has had been faced with the enemy and his little courtyard leaders. And he, is, he knows Everything there is to know about the enemy. So to go willingly to the cross, like he was, well, that's a whole different arena, isn't it? That's why my favorite picture out of the movie, The Passion of the Christ, is, and even Mel Gibson knew that that was an important scene. And as an actor... They had him embrace that cross. It's close up of the camera. I'm going to sketch it someday. As I'm going to sketch Mary getting blood all over her face, identity all over her face. It's all over her hands. That's her baby. Who's allowing that identity to drain out of him. To heal generations to come. His blood. And now I want that. That part of the mystery in Christ Jesus, I 
I want that. In such a way, it's as clear as clear can be that nothing else matters but the blood of Jesus. There's a lot around it, I can assure you. So what he does is he starts this downward process in our lives. And he literally oils the slides, so to speak, so that we end up in this pool of living death, this dark place. We're talking about an indwelt Christian here, not just unsaved people. He's got his oil out and he's oiling the slide so that through self-effort we cannot crawl back up the slide. So when you have those thoughts of, where are you, God? Why aren't you saving me from this? How come you're allowing this to happen to me? I thought you were a God of love. I thought you were a God of grace. I thought you were a God of redemption and salvation. And he's saying to us, to you, I am. Do you not see salvation and redemption and darkness? Do you not know why? The light shines brightest in the darkest places. You see, I love Michael W. Smith, personally as well as a co-minister of the gospel. And in his one song, Shine on me, Jesus, shine on me. I wish we could change that song because it's going down through the ages already. Jesus, shine through me, shine through me. Not on, through me. The life and light of Christ coming out of into all believers takes us to go into that dark place again so that we come to the end of ourselves. So he allows self, 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 me, 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 pat me on the back. That turns into an occupation of our life. That turns into self-pleasing. Then it drops down into, if you confront them about it, they get into condemnation. Self-condemnation. Oh, you're judging me. Is anyone here with me that you're getting sick and tired of hearing that phrase? From churchy people? You're judging me. No, bro, I'm actually trying to talk to you to save you from judgment. Because I'm not even sure you're saved. Tell that to a minister of God. We had a pastor come down from Kansas City. He was, is pastoring the second largest church in the Midwest, and some even say one of the largest churches in the world. And he came down for some discipleship, and I was rolling through these diagrams with with Jack, with him. It was whenever we'd take on pastors, we would do two two to one, two counselors to one, because they're pretty quick. And so we were walking this gentleman through these truths and whatever. He stopped as midstream, and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you trying to tell me that salvation is a particular moment? Okay, he's written books. He's pastoring this big church, you know. And it's all in my mind, as clear as the day it happened. I turned and looked at Jack, and Jack, a converted priest, he turns and looks at me and goes, Both of us knew this was the day of this man's salvation. He was begging. 
Even the Spirit of God stopped him to stop us. We assume at least this man saved. So we backed up. The pastor turned the diagram back to the other one. And he says, okay, talk to me about that. So he did. He said, I want to pray right now. To receive Christ into this mortal body. Because I've never done that. And we saw this man become an indwelt Christian from being a Christian to an indwelt Christian. Well, for a year after he got saved, he worked at 7-Eleven because a new believer cannot be in service. That's not where he's at today. But for a year, he worked in a 7-Eleven in Kansas City. He went and resigned his post at the church, told the elders, I'm a new believer. I cannot pastor a church. So I'm telling you, no matter where you're at, you better know. Have you been touched for that decision to respond? And this helps that be brought to that point. Why? So as Luke 9.23 tells us that deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So it starts out of a dark place. It starts out of the end of self. And it shoots heavenly. Automatically. It's just like sprinkle or coming out of a fountain in the ground. It just shoots forth without effort. And then you're willing to bear your cross You're willing to worship and praise God. You're willing to have expectations from God, not your spouse or friends or whoever. You're willing to have a mature love, which is God's love, which is a mature God, which is a hidden mystery. And so forth and so on until you get to the top of that pile and it's nothing more than the ministry we're called to for His purpose. And that is the ministry of reconciliation, which Ben Leek got. At 30 years of age, I thought, what a time to go out. Marcy, I'm telling you. What a time to go out, 30 years of age, the same age that Jesus was when he entered the ministry, prime ripe time to say, I got this, Lord. I got it. Okay. Come home. Ben's going to have a very special job in heaven. This I know. He was one of the least among the brethren. Not too many people knew the heart of Ben. But I'll tell you what. God did. And his mission was finished. Be careful about saying you got it. I have got it. I do understand the exchange life. Has it worked out 100% of my life? Absolutely not. But I got it. And if God's keeping me alive to get some practical principles down, I'm contacting on a regular basis and have for the past four or five years. Either you guys join us in this effort of getting this stuff as simple as possible We have guys like Dr. Charles Stanley and many others are saying, here, you can have this book. You can have this audio series. You can have this whatever. 
we're going to put together a library of all these Christ is Life teachers, pastors, counselors, and whatever, free. They don't have to give me every book they've written free, but just give me something that communicates the power of the cross free. So that we won't have to worry about copyright issues worldwide. You know what? They're starting to catch on. Free library. Ministering to others is pretty important to him, of course. So discerning the flesh, number one, are my decisions to benefit my flesh? Or number two, are my decisions to benefit the spirit? Simple deal. And let's play a a very quick game here. Someone throw out a scenario, try to make it complicated. Man, I got to pray about that. That'd be a complicated one. And then I want someone else to shout out the answer. And just to get things going, I'm going to throw out the most classic one I hear in my office. You know, I really need to divorce him because he abuses me. It's a tough one. I could pray about that one. Should I say to her, well, you need to pray about that? Or should I say to her, it's a more grievous sin to deny the institution of marriage? Why is the institution of marriage so anointed, so protected, so it's such a sanctified institution in the church? You know what? They don't argue over those anymore in the meetings, from what I'm told. There is no sanctity of marriage. So I ask the question, how in the world did you guys get from us arguing over the sanctity of marriage in those meetings just a very few very short years later? It's a non-issue. So what do we tell this lady? Anyone? No, I would say I will never support or sponsor your divorce, ever. You'll never get counsel out of this mouth. To, for me to encourage you to divorce this man. But there's other things we need to talk about that are responsible in daily decisions. They're gone. One, two, maybe over the past so many years have hung out and worked it through. But they're usually gone. I will not be distressed and persecuted by anyone. They violated more than just the sanctity of marriage. There's tons of other mandates given they are tossing to the wind. Okay, next one. Pastor approaches me. This is another true story. A pastor approaches me. He's a music minister. Certainly Phoenix area, the largest church down there. And very, very, very gifted young man. Been counseling him and his wife for six months. He doesn't show, and then the next week he doesn't show, and I look at her and I said, what's going on here? And she goes, I'm not sure, something's just not right. So I called him and I said, it is a requirement that you come in next session, because it may be our goodbye session. He shows up in his gay attire. 
I don't know if you know this, but they dress a certain way to communicate to each other that they are gay. And so he shows up like that, sits down. Of course, I got the message right away. And I said, Pastor, tell me what's going on. Well, I've decided to leave the church and become an activist with the gay community in Phoenix. She looks over at him. She had no clue. They have four kids. She had no clue. She looks over at him, sitting there on the couch like, Are you serious? And so, I said, well, what led you to this decision? Ready for your mind to be blown? The Lord. I said, could you talk to me about that? He said, the Lord told me I was born gay. The Lord told you this. Did uh, he have a problem with writing? Did he change his mind because the society went emergent? How popular is gay uh, pastors today? It's sweeping the world. And this happened just a few years ago. One of our key worship leaders has CDs out all over the place. Most of the world doesn't even know to this day he's gay. Activists. So I brought out the regular scriptures. He says, uh, I figured you'd use those on me. He said, God is a God of culture. And he uses the culture to write during that time of and state of the culture. So if he was to come today, we would need a new kind of Christianity. We need a reformation. We need a new Jesus. His wife is flabbergasted. See, I know the deceptions because I hear them. Why is it always homosexuality? Why? why? Someone, seriously, I'm asking you a question. Why? Why does Satan have this long time investment of transvesting God? Why? It's not over. Am I male? I'm not trying to to tell you that I am, but I'm male. Who's my husband? You finish the story. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I hate Satan. I have no time for him. I will not even go toe-to-toe with him. He is nothing to me. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, and I have no time for anyone who is a part of that game. I want to carry on the gospel, tell the truth, speak the truth into people's lives, see the transforming elements of Christ in you, change people's lives, but I know I have to encounter and deal with this guy on a regular basis because he's dropping our leaders like flies. 
to have men I have respected for years dropping on us. Look around, folks. Well, hopefully you've heard the answers today. If you've seen the Satan Church's sketching of Satan, you'll see that he has a goat's head. You'll see there's a pentagram on his forehead. Short one mark of the Jews, five points instead of six. You will see he has a breast as a woman with the bottom half of his body as a goat. So he's woman, he's man, he's animal, beast. The entire society must be that before he comes. Bastology, transvestism, little male, little female. He's got to turn those Bibles into a little male, little female, little shim, little him, whatever. Or the people in society won't accept him when he comes. There's a plan here, folks, and it's time for us to wake up. We go through life day to day thinking... That darn devil. Really? This darn devil is way beyond the average preacher of today. Always five steps ahead. They train me in leadership training. Always stay five steps ahead of the leader you're dealing with and you'll be fine in this business. And they were right. Five steps ahead. And just start walking. Pretty soon you'll notice they'll follow you. That's a shepherd concept. Not an evil concept. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.